Good evening, good afternoon, everybody. Hope everybody has had a fantastic day. And if you were trading throughout the day, I hope it was a green one for you. But even if it was red, uh, hey, as we're reading in this book, that happens. And I uh, hope it's still a good day for you despite that. Let me throw out a couple tweets here and uh, invite as many people as we can. And I invite you to do the same. Hit that uh, bottom right-hand corner, that little speech bubble. Like and retweet the room. Let's get as many people in here as we can to start. Because we all know in the end, we get more people that wish they would have gotten here in the beginning. So let's see if we can help them out a little bit. Let me throw out a few tweets and we'll get started. Awesome. Okay. That's a natural end because the smart music is done. Christine, how are you doing today? I am good. How are you, Voice of Dubai? I am doing fantastic. Uh, I've spent the day, oh, just doing various little little projects, little uh, little jingles and voiceovers and things like that for uh, various people. So been a been a good day as far as that's concerned. But uh, it's time to finish it off right and do chapter two today of Trading in the Zone, which is called The Lure and dangers of trading. So that should be good. Did you spend much of the day trading? Or let me ask this. Since we lasted chapter one, and I know you've been on the uh, the options uh, space both days, I believe, but at least one day, I think I saw you in there. Um, has it changed? Has, have you thought about what we read since then? So you know how I was like, yeah, of course, we're going to go into the trading day tomorrow with a different mindset, like trying to um, incorporate what we just learned on the first chapter, which was a lot. Um, but I went into it like fearful, like, oh my gosh, I don't want to mess up. Like I learned like, you know, like different ways of thinking and like the mentality that I should have. So I found myself hesitant to make like the first initial trade. And then, um, but I, heard the voice your voice in my head like (laughs) kind of you know like just don't don't do what I usually do which you already know you guys already know like I tend to hold a little bit too long smoking that hopium and um, it's better to take the small losses versus a big loss like that to me a big loss should not be accepted like we need to just if we can control that it's going to be a small loss like we should only be walking away with it being either small loss, a small win or a big win, not a big loss. So I, you know, I went in on the trades, but I did find myself a little bit more hesitant and fearful um, that first day. But today I was a lot more comfortable. Okay. Well, and that's, what's interesting is after last week, we, you know, we read that like fear is, is a thing that you kind of need to, you know, you know, squish, get it out of you. But at the same time, even though that's clearly what chapter one said, you're saying that despite that, you, you still felt felt fear, even maybe more so than you did from whenever you first read the book. So yeah. uh, kind of and a- I shouldn't, but I was like, no, I don't want, I want to make sure. And the fear was coming from, I want to make sure that that first chapter applies to my trading 
this week and I need to learn it. Like I, what's the point of reading it and not executing it? So I was like, it was more of the fear of doing what I usually do. And I want to make sure that I'm able to execute it and not, you know, having read that first chapter and walking away like, yep, traded just like I never read it. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, we don't want to just read this just to say we've read it. We want to read it to actually apply to what we're doing. Speaking of application, uh, I do have a PO app here today for everybody that wants to like prove to your friends that you indeed were here for chapter two. I do have a PO app. So everybody, if you will open up your PO app app, go into the secret word and use the word lure, L-U-R-E. Uh, it's because chapter two is called the lure of trading. And so just L-U-R-E is the secret word in your PO app. So uh, try to get that to work. It will have, if you're new to PO apps or you haven't done a PO app in some time, it will have a very frustrating numerical thing for you to go through. You'll have to tap the numbers in sequential order and you'll have to do that all the way to a thousand and it will give you two minutes to do so. And at that point, you will be pretty pissed wonder why am I even doing this? And I don't have a good answer for you um, of, of why uh, it makes it so difficult. So uh, just if you want to get a PO app, there it is. Uh, the artwork is a little suspect in that uh, it says Golden Hour Book Book Club, but uh, that's all right. I just now noticed that. Oops. Oops. Yeah. It's not, like, it's not like a tattoo or anything, Christine. It's just a, just a PO I'm app. It's not like you a, by the PO app. I'm sorry. Right. You can judge me. That's all right. You, you can judge me by the POAV uh, as long as uh, you're, you're learning something here. So, okay. If anybody wasn't here last week, we did chapter one and you heard Christine and I having a little bit of banter back and forth about it. And chapter one really talked a lot, a lot about how most of the problem with traders is the fact that they ex have a set of expectations whenever they trade. And some of those expectations get into even believing that there must be a way to trade without losing or that fear that ultimately will decide how we're going to go forward in trading. And Christine had already said that after she you know, read that first chapter, she goes into the next two days of trading and felt this fear on that very next day, maybe even more so than before. And so today's uh, chapter, it's called The Lure and the Dangers of Trading, which is going to get a little bit more into that because trading definitely hits that dopamine. If you're like me, you, you know, you, you do things that are uh, enjoyable to, over and over and over again. And trading can be really enjoyable, especially whenever you're on a serious win streak. You feel like, man, I'm on top of the world. But that that addiction, that that hopium, whatever you want to call it, that addiction can really alter your trades, especially when things are going bad. And uh, the, that chapter last week got a little into that. And we're going to get a little more into that uh, this week. Um, so. Christine, is there anything else I need to cover before we just jump right into this thing? Yes. Yeah, so I would like to say if you guys can kindly retweet the room, that's the bottom right corner chat bubble. Um, go ahead and press that and then press the like and retweet. Make sure you guys comment um, anything that you want to um, chiming in on the trading in the zone book. I don't know if you guys went and ordered the book or you have it with you, the physical. If you do not, I went ahead and pinned the tweet on the Jumbotron up there. That's the PDF. If you guys want to go ahead and take a look at that, if you don't have the physical book, you could read along as Voice of DeFi is narrating the book. I always find that a lot more helpful when you're actually reading uh, while you're listening. I think it's just uh, more beneficial. I don't have any scientific facts to anything that I'm saying about that. I just feel like it is. So don't... Uh
quote me on that. Um, but Voice of DeFi, you're in the medical field. Am I? Can you fact check me? Uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll work on that. I mean, everything you're saying sounds sounds legit. I don't have any papers or anything if you want me to go over that. But sure, if you say it, I'll, I'll it. go with the actual. Yeah, exactly. Stamp it. Boom. Fact. Um, one thing I do want to say, if anybody's in here for the first time, is this is a live reading. None of this is going to be recorded or anything like that. So it's a little different than an audiobook in that it is a live reading. That means if, I've, if I absolutely butcher a name, that's going to be out there. If I stumble over my words, that's going to be out there. Uh, in between chapters, or sometimes you may hear me cough, or you may even hear occasionally me give my own little commentary, although I try to not do that. Pretty much what you're reading here, is, or what you're going to hear today, is from Mark Douglas himself. But uh, someone asked last week, is it a bot that's reading? It's not a bot. It's just me. Um, I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I sound like robotic or robot, not. robot, that's why. Like a cool robot. Yeah. I, I am. A, yeah, like I'm a cool mom, yeah. right? I'm a, you're not like a boring bot. robot. You're a cool robot. That's right. I'm a, I'm a cool robot. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's just me. And with that will come any kind of stumbling over words or mispronouncing of it. And if I do and I show my ignorance on something that you're like, everybody should know how to pronounce that. Well, I'm sorry. You can put it in the comments of, of how I butchered it and I'll, I'll do better next yeah. time with it. So, yes, yes. And then after the chapter two reading, you guys can definitely request and then uh, we can discuss the book. Indeed. And that, that was really good last week, actually. So whenever we got through with the chapter, um, some people came up to the stage and said, hey, uh, I go through this myself. And some people even had some, you know, actual detailed explanations of what they've done previously and how that applied it. So uh, the first part of today's space will be the lecture of the college class. And the last part of the space will be the lab. And Christine will run a lot of that lab. Because at that point, I'll have been speaking for several minutes straight, and I don't know, I'll be slamming water or something like that to try to try to make my voice uh, be able to be a little more palatable, because you'll hear it. Did you hear that at the end of last week, Christine? Like, towards the end of the chapter, I had a real, you know, three-pack-a-day kind of yeah, voice. Yeah, you started drying out. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Might happen again today. I don't know. This mic pulls it all in, pulls in all that, uh, all, those, all those Marlboros that I'm just uh, just lighten on the end of one of another. All right, let's start with chapter two. Chapter two, it's called The Lure and the Dangers of Trading. Uh, and if you have the book, please read along. Up at the top, Christine has put a wonderful little link where you can read along there as well. Or just sit back, close your eyes, and listen. But don't go to sleep. Don't go to sleep. All right, chapter two, The Lure and the Dangers of Trading. In January 1994, I was asked to speak at a trading conference in Chicago sponsored by Futures Magazine. At one of the luncheons, I happened to be sitting next to an editor for one of the major publishers of the books about trading. We were having a lively conversation about why so few people become successful at trading, even people who were otherwise very accomplished. At one point, the editor asked me if a possible explanation for this phenomenon might be that people were getting into trading for the wrong reasons. And this portion is titled The Attraction. I had to pause for a moment to think about this. I agree that many of the typical reasons that people are motivated to trade, the action, the euphoria, the desire to be a hero, the attention one can draw to himself by winning, or the self-pity that comes from losing, create problems that will ultimately detract from a trader's performance and overall success. But the true underlying attraction of trading is far more fundamental and universal 
Trading is an activity that offers the individual unlimited freedom of creative expression, a freedom of expression that has been denied most of us for most of our lives. Of course, the editor asked me, asked me what I meant by this. I explained that in the trading environment, we make almost all of the rules. This means that there are very few restrictions or boundaries on how we can choose to express ourselves. Of course, there are some formalities such as having to become a member of an exchange to be a floor trader or meeting the minimum financial requirements to open a brokerage account if you're an off-floor trader. But otherwise, once you're in a position to start trading, the possibilities that exist for how you go about doing it are virtually limitless. I went on to give him an example from a seminar I attended several years ago. Someone had calculated that if you combined bond futures, bond options, and the cash bond markets, there would be over 8 billion possible spread combinations. Now add the timing considerations based on how you read the prevailing market conditions, and the various ways to trade become virtually limitless. The editor paused for a moment and asked, but why would you having access to such an unrestricted environment result in fairly consistent failure? I answered, because unlimited possibilities coupled with unlimited freedom to take advantage of those possibilities present, the individual with, uh, present the, un, the individual with unique and specialized psychological challenges. Challenges that very few people are properly equipped to deal with or have any awareness for that matter. And people can't exactly work on an overcoming something if they don't know that it's a problem. The freedom is great. All of us seem to naturally want it strive for it, even crave it. But that doesn't mean that we have the appropriate psychological resources to operate effectively in an environment that has few, if any, boundaries and where the potential to do enormous damage to ourselves exists. Almost everyone needs to make some mental adjustments regardless of their educational background, intelligence, or how successful they've been in other endeavors. The kind of adjustments I'm talking about have to do with creating an internal mental structure that provides the trader with the greatest degree of balance between the freedom to do anything and the potential that exists to experience both the financial and psychological damage that can be a direct result of that freedom. Creating a mental structure can be difficult enough, especially if you want to do is instill, if you, especially if what you want to instill is in conflict with what you already believe. But for those of us that want to be traders, the difficulty of creating the appropriate structure is invariably compounded by a backlog of mental resistance that starts developing at the very earliest stages of our lives. All of us are born into some sort of social environment, a social environment or society, whether it's a family, a city, a state, or a country, implies the existence of structure. Social structures consist of rules, restrictions, boundaries, and a set of beliefs that become a code of behavior that limits the way in which individuals within that social structure can or cannot express themselves. Furthermore, most of the limitations of social structure were established before we are born. In other words, by the time any of us get here, most of the social structure governing our individual expression is in place and well entrenched. It's easy to see why a society's need for structure and the individual's need for self-expression can, conf can conflict. Every person who wants to master the art of trading faces such a fundamental conflict. I'd like you to ask yourself what one characteristic, a form of personal expression, is common 
to every child born on this planet, regardless of the location, culture, or societal or social situation the child is born into. The answer is curiosity. Every child is born curious. Every child is eager to learn. They can be described as little learning machines. Consider the nature of curiosity. At its most fundamental level, it is a force. More specifically, it's an inner directed force, which means there's no necessity to motivate a child to learn something. Left on their own, children will naturally explore their surroundings. What is more, this inner directed force also seems to have its own agenda. In other words, even though all children are curious, not all children are naturally curious about the same things. There's something inside each of us that directs our awareness to certain objects and types of experiences to the exclusion of others. Even infants seem to know what they want and what they don't want. When adults encounter this unique display of individuality expressed by an infant, they're usually surprised. They assume that infants have nothing inside of them that makes them uniquely who they are. How else would infants express their individuality than by what is in their environment uh, attracts or repels them? I call this inner directed guidance the force of natural attractions. Natural attractions are simply those about which we feel a natural or passionate interest. Ours is a big divorce world, and it offers such of us a great deal to learn about and experience. But that doesn't mean each of us has a natural or passionate interest in learning about or experiencing all there is. There's some internal mechanism that makes us naturally selective. If you think about it, I'm sure you could list many things to do or be that you have absolutely no interest in. I know I could. You could also make another list, list of things that you're only marginally interested in. Finally, you could list everything you have a passionate interest in. Of course, the list gets smaller as the interest levels rise. Where does passionate interest come from? My personal view is that it comes from the deepest level of our being, at the level of our true identity. It comes from the part of us that exists beyond the characteristics and personality traits we acquire as a result of our social upbringing. The next portion is called the dangers. It is at the deepest level of our being that the potential for conflict exists. The social structure that we're born into may or may not be sensitive to these inner-directed needs and interests. For example, you may have been born into a family of extremely competitive athletes, but feel an in a personal interest in classical music or art. You may even have natural athletic ability, but no real interest in participating in athletic events. Is there any potential for conflict here? In a typical family, most members would put a great deal of pressure on you to follow in the footsteps of your brothers, sisters, or parents. They do everything possible to teach you their ways and how to get the most out of your athletic ability. They discourage you from seriously pursuing other interests. You go along with what they want because you don't want to be ostracized, but at the same time, doing what they want to do just doesn't feel right. Although everything you've learned and have been taught argues in the favor of becoming an athlete. The problem is, it doesn't feel like who you are. The conflicts that result from what we're taught about who or what we're supposed to be and the feeling that resonates at the deepest levels of our being is not at all uncommon. I would say that many, if not most people, grow up in a family and cultural environment that gives little, if any, objective, non-judgmental support to the unique ways in which we feel compelled to express ourselves. 
This lack of support is not simply an absence of encouragement. It can be as deep as the outright denial of some particular way in which we want to express ourselves. For example, let's look at this common situation. A toddler who for the first time in his life notices this thing, which we all call a vase on the coffee table. He's curious, which means there's an inner force that's compelling him to experience this object. In a sense, it's as if this force creates a vacuum in his mind that has to be filled with the object of his interest. So he focuses on the vase and with deliberate intent crawls across the vast expanse of the living room floor to the coffee table. When he gets there, he reaches up to the edge of the table to pull himself to his feet. With one hand firmly on the table to maintain his balance, his other hand reaches out and touches this thing that he has never experienced. And just at that moment, he hears a scream from across the room. No, do not touch that. Startled, the child falls back on his butt and begins to cry. Obviously, this is a very common occurrence and one that is completely unavoidable. Children have absolutely no concept of how they can injure themselves or how valuable something like a vase can be. In fact, learning what is safe and what isn't in the value of how things are important lessons that children must learn. However, there are some extremely important psychological dynamics at work here that have a direct effect on our ability to create the kind of discipline and focus necessary to trade effectively later in life. What happens when we're denied the opportunity to express ourselves in the way that we want to, or we're forced to express ourselves in a way that doesn't correspond with the natural selection process? This experience creates an upset. Being upset implies an imbalance. But what exactly is out of balance? For something to be out of balance, there has to be something that's in balance or in equal proportion in the first place. That something is the relative degree of correspondence that exists between our inner mental environment and the exterior environment where we experience our lives. In other words, our needs and desires are generated in our mental environment and they're fulfilled in the exterior environment. If these two environments are in correspondence with one another, we're in a state of inner balance and we feel a satisfaction or happiness. If these environments are not in correspondence, we experience dissatisfaction, anger, and frustration, or what is commonly referred to as emotional pain. Now, why would we not getting what we want or being denied the freedom to express ourselves in some particular way cause us to experience emotional pain? My personal theory is that needs and desires create mental vacuums. The universe in which we live has a natural tendency to not tolerate a vacuum and moves to fill it, whether one exists. The philosopher Spinoza observed several centuries ago that nature abhors a vacuum. Suck the air out of the bottle in your tongue and the lips will stick to the mouth of the bottle because you've created an imbalance, which is a vacuum, which now must be filled. What are the dynamics behind the expression? Necessity is the mother of all invention. The recognition that a need creates a mental vacuum that the universe will fill with inspiring thoughts if your mind is receptive. The thoughts, in turn, can inspire movement and expression that result in the fulfillment of that need. In this respect, I think our mental environment works like the universe at large. Once we recognize a need or a desire, we move to fill the vacuum with an experience in the exterior environment. 
If we are denied the opportunity to pursue the object of this need or desire, it literally feels like we are not whole or that something is missing, which puts us into a state of imbalance or emotional pain. Do our minds also abhor a vacuum once one has been created? Take a toy away from a child who has not finished playing with it, regardless of how good your reasons may be for doing so, and the universal response will be emotional pain. By the time we're 18 years old, we've been on Earth approximately 6,570 days. On average, how many times per day does the typical child hear statements like, no, you can't do that. You can't do it that way. You have to do it this way. Or, not now. Let me think about it. Or, I'll let you know. Or, it can't be done. Or, what makes you think you can do that? Or, you have to do it. You have no choice. These are just a few of the relatively nice ways in which all of us are denied individual expression as we go up. Even if we only heard such statements once or twice a day, that still adds up to several thousand denials by the time we reach adulthood. I call these kinds of experiences denied impulses to learn. Impulses that are based on an inner need, originating from the deeper part of our identity, from the natural selection process. What happens to all of these impulses that have been denied and left unfulfilled? Do they just go away? They can, if they are reconciled in some way, if we do something or someone else does something to put our mental environment back into balance. What can put our mental environment back into balance? Well, there are a number of techniques. The most natural one, especially for a child, is simply to cry. Crying is a natural mechanism, nature's way, for reconciling these denied, unfulfilled impulses. Scientific researchers have found tears to be composed of negatively charged ions. If allowed to take its natural course, crying will expel the negatively charged energy in our minds and bring us back to a state of balance, even though the original impulse was never fulfilled. The problem is that, most of the time, events are not allowed to take their natural course, and the denied impulses are never reconciled, at least not while they're still children. There are many reasons why adults do not like it when their children, especially boys, cry and do everything they can do to discourage this behavior. There are just as many reasons why adults will not bother to explain to children why they are being forced to do something they don't want to do. Even if adults do try, there are assurances, there are no assurances that they will be effective enough to be to reconcile the imbalance. What happens if these impulses aren't reconciled? Well, they accumulate and usually end up manifesting themselves in any number of addictive and compulsive behavior patterns. A very loose rule of thumb is whatever we believe we were deprived of as children, we can easily become addictions in adulthood. For example, many people are addicted to attention. I'm referring to people who will do almost anything to draw attention to themselves. The most common reason for this is they, they, they believe that either they didn't get enough attention when they were young or didn't get it when it was important to them. In any case, the deprivation becomes unresolved emotional energy that compels them to behave in ways that will satisfy the addiction. What's important for us to understand about these unreconciled, denied impulses that exist in all of us is how they affect our ability to stay focused and take a disciplined, consistent approach to our trading. The next section is called the safeguards. To operate effectively in the trading environment, we need rules and boundaries to guide our behavior. It is a simple fact of trading that the potential exists 
to do enormous damage to ourselves. Damage that can be way out of proportion to the what we think is possible. There are many kinds of trades in which the risk of loss is unlimited. To prevent the possibility of exposing ourselves to damage, we need to create an internal structure in the form of specialized mental discipline in a perspective that guides our behavior so that we always act in our own best interests. The structure has to exist within each of us because, unlike society, the market doesn't provide it. The markets provide structure in the form of behavior patterns that indicate when an opportunity to buy or sell exists. But that's where the structure ends, with a simple indication. Otherwise, from each individual's perspective, there are no formalized rules to guide your behavior. There aren't even any beginnings, middles, or endings, as there are in virtually every other activity we participate in. This is an extremely important distinction with profound psychological implications. The market is like a stream that is in constant motion. It doesn't start, stop, or wait. Even when the markets are closed, prices are still in motion. There is no rule that the opening price on any day must be the same as the closing price the day before. Nothing we do in society properly prepares us to function effectively in such a boundaryless environment. Even gambling games have built-in structures that make them much different from trading and a lot less dangerous. For example, if we decide to play blackjack, the first thing we have to do is decide how much we are going to wager or risk. This is a choice we are forced to make by the rules of the game. If we don't make the choice, we don't get to play. In trading, no one, except yourself, is going to force you to decide in advance what your risk is. In fact, what we have is a limitless environment where virtually anything can happen at any moment and only the consistent winners define their risk in advance of putting on a trade. For everyone else, defining the risk in advance would force you to confront the reality that each trade has a probable outcome, meaning it could be a loser. Consistent losers do almost anything to avoid the accepting the reality that, no matter how good a trade looks, it could lose. Without the presence of an external structure forcing the typical trader to think otherwise, he is susceptible to any number of justifications, rationalizations, and the kind of distorted logic that will allow him to get into a trade believing it can't lose, which makes determining the risk in advance irrelevant. All gambling games have specified beginnings, middles, and endings based on the sequence of events that determine the outcome of the game. Once you decide you're going to participate, you can't change your mind. You're in for the duration. That's not true of trading, however. In trading, prices are in constant motion. Nothing begins until you decide it should, and it lasts as long as you want. It doesn't end until you want it to be over. Regardless of what you may have planned or wanted to do, any number of psychological factors can come into play, causing you to become distracted, change your mind, become scared, or overconfident. In other words, causing you to behave in ways that are erratic and unintended. Because gambling games have a formal ending, they force the participant to be an active loser. If you're on a losing streak, you can't keep on losing without making a conscious decision to do so. The end of each game causes the beginning of a new game, and you have to actively subject more of your assets to further risk by reaching into your wallet or pushing some chips into the center of the table. Trading has no formal ending. The market will not take you out of a trade. Unless you have the appropriate mental structure to end a trade in a matter that is always in your best interests, 
you, become, you can become a passive loser. This means that once you're in a losing trade, you don't have to do anything to keep on losing. You don't have to watch. You can just ignore the situation, and the market will take everything you own and more. One of the many contradictions of trading is that it offers a gift and a curse at the same time. The gift is that perhaps for the first time in our lives, we're in complete control of everything we do. The structure, the curse is that we are no external rules or boundaries to guide or structure our behavior. The unlimited characteristics of trading environment require that we act with some degree of restraint and self-control, at least if we want to create some measure of consistent success. The structure we need to guide our behavior has to originate in your mind as a conscious act of free will. This is where the many problems begin. It goes to list on some problems. Problem, the unwillingness to create rules. I have not yet encountered a person interested in trading who didn't resist the notion of creating a set of rules. The resistance isn't always overt. Quite the contrary. It's usually very subtle. We agree on the one hand that rules make sense, but we really have no intentions of doing whatever is being suggested. There is this resistance can be intense, and it has a logical source. Most of the structure in our minds has given to us as a result of our social upbringing and based on choices made by other people. In other words, it was instilled in our minds, but did not originate in our minds. This is a very important distinction. In the process of instilling structure, many of our natural impulses to move, express, and learn about the nature of our existence through our own direct experience were denied. Many of these denied impulses were never reconciled and still exist inside of us as frustration, anger, disappointment, guilt, or even hatred. The accumulation of these negative feelings acts as a force inside our mental environment, causing us to resist anything that denies us the freedom to do and be who, whatever we want, when we want. In other words, the very reason we are attracted to trading in the first place the unlimited freedom of creative expression is the same reason we can feel a natural resistance to creating the kinds of rules and boundaries that can appropriately guide our behavior. It's as if we found a utopia and that there's complete freedom and that someone taps us on the shoulder and says, hey, you have to create rules. And not only that, you have to be the discipline, you have to have discipline and abide by them. The need for rules may make perfect sense but it can be difficult to generate the motivation to create the rules when we've been trying to break free of them for most of our lives. It usually takes a great deal of pain and suffering to break down the source of our resistance to establishing and abiding by a trading regime that is organized, consistent, and reflects prudent money-making guidelines. Now, I'm not implying that you have to reconcile all of your past frustrations and disappointments to become a successful trader, because that's not the case. And you can certainly don't have to suffer. I've worked with many traders who have achieved their object objectives of consistency and haven't done anything to reconcile their backlog of denied impulses. However, I am implying, I am implying that you can't take for granted how much effort and focus that you may have to put into building the kind of mental structure that compensates for the negative effect denied impulses can have on your ability to establish the skills that will assure your success as a trader. The next problem it mentions is failure to take responsibility. Trading can be characterized as a pure, unencumbered, personal choice with an immediate outcome. Remember, 
Nothing happens until we decide to start. It lasts as long as we want, and it doesn't end until we decide to stop. All of these beginnings, middles, and endings are the result of our interpretation of the information available, and then how we choose to act on our interpretation. Now, we may want the freedom to make choices, but that doesn't mean we are ready to, and willing to accept the responsibility for the outcomes. Traders who are not ready to accept responsibility for the outcomes of their interpretations and actions will find themselves in a dilemma. How does one participate in an activity that allows complete freedom of choice and at the same time avoid taking responsibility if the outcome of one's choices are unexpected and not to one's liking? The hard reality of trading is that if you want to create consistency, you have to start from the premise that no matter what the outcome, you are completely responsible. This is a level of responsibility that few people have aspired to before they decide to become traders. The way to avoid responsibility is to adopt a trading style that is, to all intents and purposes, random. I define random trading as poorly planned trades or trades that are not planned at all. It is an unorganized approach that takes into consideration an unlimited set of market variables which do not allow you to find out what works on a consistent basis and what does not. Randomness is unstructured freedom without responsibility. When we trade without well-defined plans and with an unlimited set of variables, it's very easy to take, the cre take credit for the trades that turn out not to our liking because there is some method present. At the same time, it's very easy to avoid taking responsibility for the trades that didn't turn out the way we wanted because there's always some variable we didn't know about and therefore couldn't take into consideration beforehand. If the market's behavior were truly random, then it would be difficult, if not impossible, to create consistency. If it's impossible to be consistent, then we really don't have to take responsibility. The problem with this logic is that our direct experience of the markets tells us something different. The same behavior patterns present themselves over and over again. Even though the outcome of each individual pattern is random, the outcome of a series of patterns is consistent and statistically reliable. This is a paradox, but one that is easily resolved with a disciplined, organized, and consistent approach. I've worked with countless traders who would spend hours of market analysis and planning trades for the next day. Then, instead of putting on the trades they planned, they did something else. The trades they put on were usually ideas from friends or tips from brokers. I probably don't have to tell you that the trades they originally planned on but didn't act on were usually the big winners of the day. This is a classic example of how we become susceptible to unstructured, random trading because we want to avoid responsibility. When we act on our own ideas, we put our creative abilities on the line and we get instant feedback of how well our ideas worked. It's very difficult to rationalize away any unsatisfactory results. On the other hand, when we enter an unplanned, random trade, it's much easier to shift the responsibility by blaming the friend or the broker for their bad ideas. There's something else about the nature of trading that make it so easy to escape the responsibility that comes from creating structure in the favor of trading randomly. It is the fact that any trade has the potential to be a winner, even a big winner. That big winning trade can come your way whether you're a great analyst or a really, really lousy one, whether you do or don't take responsibility. 
It takes effort to create this kind of disciplined approach that's necessary to become a consistent winner. But, as you can see, it's very easy to avoid this type of mental work in favor of trading with an undisciplined and random approach. The next problem it has is the problem of the addiction to random rewards. Several studies have been done on the psychological effects of random rewards on monkeys. For example, if you teach a monkey to do a task and consistently reward it every time the task is done, the monkey quickly learns to associate a specific outcome with the efforts. If you stop rewarding it for doing the task, within a very short period of time, the monkey will simply stop doing the task. It won't waste its energy doing something that it has now learned it won't be rewarded for. However, the monkey's response to being cut off from the reward is very different if you start out on a purely random schedule instead of a consistent one. When you stop offering the reward, there's no way the monkey can know that it will never be rewarded again for doing that task. Every time it was rewarded in the past, the reward came as a surprise. As a result, from the monkey's perspective, there's no reason to quit doing the task. The monkey keeps on doing the task even without being rewarded for doing it. Some will continue indefinitely. I'm not sure why we're susceptible to becoming addicted to random rewards. If I had to guess, I would say that it probably has something to do with the euphoria-inducing chemicals that are released in our brains when we experience an unexpected, pleasant surprise. If reward is random, we never know for sure if and when we might receive it. So expending energy and resources in the hope of experiencing that wonderful feeling of surprise again isn't difficult. In fact, for many people, it can be very addicting. On the other hand, when we expect a particular outcome and it doesn't come about, we're disappointed and we feel bad. If we do it again and we get the same disappointing outcome, it isn't likely that we will be keep doing the same thing we know will cause us emotional pain. The problem with any addiction is that it leaves us in a state of choicelessness. To whatever degree the addiction dominates our state of mind, to that same degree, our focus and efforts will be geared towards fulfilling the object of that addiction. Other possibilities that exist in any given moment to fulfill other needs, like the need to trust ourselves and not to, be, not to subject too many of our assets to risk, are either ignored or dismissed. We feel powerless to act in any other way than to satisfy the addiction. An addiction to random rewards is particularly troublesome for traders because it's another source of resistance to creating the kind of a mental structure that produces consistency. The next problem it mentioned is external versus internal control. Our upbringing has programmed us to function in a social environment, which means we've acquired certain thinking strategies for fulfilling our needs, wants, and desires that are geared towards social interaction. Not only have we learned to depend on each other to fulfill the needs, wants, and desires we cannot fulfill completely on our own, but the process we've acquired many socially-based controlling and manipulating techniques for assuring that other people behave in a manner that is consistent with what we want. The markets may seem like a social endeavor because there are so many people involved, but they're not. If, in today's modern society, we have learned to depend on each other to fulfill basic needs, then the market environment even though it exists in the midst of modern society, can be characterized as a psychological wilderness where it's truly every man or woman for himself or herself. Not only can we not depend on the market to do anything for us, 
but it's extremely difficult, if not impossible, to manipulate or control anything that the market does. Now, if we've been effective at fulfilling our needs, wants, and desires by learning how to control and manipulate our environment, but suddenly find ourselves as traders in an environment that does not know, care, or respond to anything that is important to us, where does that leave us? You're right if you said up to the proverbial creek without a paddle. One of the principal reasons so many successful people have failed miserably at trading is that their success is partly attributable to their superior ability to manipulate and control the social environment, to respond to what they want. To some degree, all of us have learned or developed techniques to make the external environment conform to our mental or inferior environment. The problem is that none of these techniques work with the market. The market doesn't respond to control and manipulation unless you're a very large trader. However, we can control our perception and interpretation of market information, as well as our own behavior. Instead of controlling our surroundings so they conform to our idea of the way things should be, we can learn to control ourselves. Then we can perceive information from the most objective perspective possible and structure our mental environment so that we'll always behave in a manner that is in our best interest. And that is chapter two. Go with yeah, there you go. Whew. All right, take it away. Say something. I got a drink. I think that was so crazy, especially first of all, the monkey thing was it made a lot of sense, right? Like when you see them um, you know, doing research and then they have the monkey there, it's always uh, at the end there's a reward or and we already know, like, if you don't reward the monkeys, like, they're not going to do the task at hand or whatever you're trying to have them do. And, um, but I think the thing that sticks to me the most was the end part that you said when you said one of the principal reasons so many successful people have failed miserably at trading is that their success is partly attributable to their superior ability to manipulate and control the social environment. I think that's so crazy because I didn't even think about that and the mental aspect of trading. And then I think a lot of successful people probably go into trading like, oh, I got this. Like, you know, I learn pretty fast and then I could just go on my own and I know how things work. And then you are just humbled by the market because everything you know is opposite, basically. <laughs> Yeah, I've got a question about that, and I'd love to hear your input on it. So there towards the end, it talked about how people that are tend to be bad at trading are very good at manipulating their social environment, right? They're, they're really good at, I don't know, I, I took it to mean like work in a room, basically, of knowing how to get what you want out of people, and they're just, they have the gift of gab or whatever, and then whenever you get into trading, you're, you're not able to control the environment Stop. in quite such a way, Right. Uh, so my question is, are intro are extroverts not as good at trading and introverts better at trading? Is that, is that the logical leap I can take or is that too big of a leap? I think so. The way I thought of it as you read it was it's almost like the whole idea of like the monkey getting the reward thing like as people become successful you see what works and then you know you learn how to network you know how to make deals like you're wheeling and dealing you're um, opening up businesses 
doing um, that you're successful at and you know what works and then you get rewarded. Um, you know, the fruits of your labor are there. And then it starts when you start knowing how that works and how, you know, to work a room, to network and this and that, it just starts being very like automated and it's just, it comes naturally. So then you think about trading and then you just, I think mentally you just go into that, like, okay, let me learn the ins and outs of it. And then you can walk away because I got this. And then you're soon to be so humbled by the market and then you pay the market tuition and then thousands of thousands of dollars <laughs> down the drain. Um, you're like, okay, I think I know that I know nothing here and I need help and I need, um, you know, to make friends that know what they're doing and then have this conversation and see like what their journey was and then um, ask them questions, read books, like what we're doing now, trading in the zone, which a lot of people, um, a lot of successful traders point to as one of like the, you know, their top books that helped them maneuver in their trading and it changed their whole life as far as like trading goes and being who they are. And then I know we have Keanu up here. I want to ask him because he, to me, is, uh, you know, a successful trader. And then he still has his career um, that he has. But Keanu, what do you think about that last part? How they said, like, principal reason so many successful people have failed miserably at trading is because it's not what they thought it to be in, like, their real life. Are you there? Maybe he's not there. Maybe he fell asleep. <laughs> Good right. looks about you. I would agree with you guys because until I found you guys who, even though you guys have a good social presence, you guys said you guys were extrovert or introverts in person. And yeah. you see, I was more of an extrovert type of person and I am failing. And that's why when I teamed up with you guys, I started seeing some turnaround success. That's interesting. Cause okay. So good looks is one of the few people here on the stage or in the audience that I, I have met and and even if you just talk to good looks on on uh, here on spaces he, he's very outgoing very outgoing in person very outgoing in on, on spaces and uh, christine Aww. and i both, <laughs> uh, but christine and i have both said that even though on spaces like you guys here christine she's she's very outgoing i can be very outgoing on spaces but the difference between an introvert and an extrovert is it, it does not recharge me to be in a big social environment matter of fact if i'm in a huge social environment um, I, I get kind of drained by it. I, I, and it is a little bit of that. I am not in control. I'm not one of those people that can just be in control of a room. I feel like my gears are always turning and doing things. And I've never thought about how that could, you know, affect you in trading, much like Goodlicks just said. He feels like he's been in control of a room before, but then he gets into trading and he, he lacks that control. I've never really put two and two together like that. That's exactly what the book says, and uh, I guess I've got to kind of come to terms with that thought. Yeah, the book's been playing my bad history back to me, and I'm just like, wow, this is such an eye-opener. It's such an eye-opener, and I think the great thing about this is because we've all, all three of us have never read it. Uh, Ryan, uh, Keanu as well, he bought the book, I guess, to read it with us, and then, you know, he's excited to hear about it, but through so many people that I have met and they're like mentors in trading assets, like whether it's on crypto, NFTs, they're just killing the game or stocks, options, they have all pointed to trading in the zone. So whatever, you know, level we're at in our investing and trading, we're on a good path here reading the book that they all point to.
So no matter how you feel, no matter how down bad you are at this time, and I always say you're only as good as your last trade because I'm an asshole in trading. Like I want us to just be better all the time. So I don't give a shit if you freaking are so good that 80% of the time you kill it, you're only as good as your last trade. And that has to just humble us, you know, because it is what it is. So um, if you don't like that, I said that I don't care. Uh, it just will keep us on our toes. The market, you know, every day it's either you make the market your bitch or it makes you their bitch. So just gonna say I don't want to cuss either. But that's just the way it is. But voice of DeFi, what is your favorite part in this chapter? So you mentioned it already, and it's that monkey part. And so I want to talk, go a little deeper into that because it it didn't just say that they would quit doing it once the banana was gone. So it did say that if you, let's just come up with a task for them, ring a bell. Every time they ring a bell, we give them a banana, right? And then it basically said, if you stop giving the banana, they'll quit ringing the bell, right? But what's interesting is it said that if they randomly stopped doing that, it really changed the outcome and they might keep on doing it forever. In other words, if you decided to only give them a banana for every fifth bell ring or every 10th bell ring, they might keep on ringing the bell and doing whatever task it is, in this case, ringing the bell, and they might keep on doing it because they randomly get a reward. And man, that sticks with me with trading because if I am really just doing just bonehead things and I'm doing it over and over again and I have no plan, but occasionally, you know, it's like a broken clock is right you know, two times a day sort of thing. Occasionally I win big, right? It gives me that random reward. So what do I do? I keep on chasing that random reward and do the same stupid thing that gets me wrong nine out of 10 times, right? Because I'm so addicted to getting the reward one out of 10 times, just like the monkey would be for the banana. So that really stuck with me as far as how, uh, you know, if you took the reward away, in other words, if I never won off trading poorly, if I never won, I'd probably just quit that trading style or try to come up with something different. But it's just that randomly still getting that that hit of dopamine. It keeps us doing, you know, boneheaded things. That so really Fs you up. Like there's yeah. no pattern. And I think as humans, as any creature really on this planet, I think we rely on finding a pattern. So then we know what we have to do to get what we want and then the market you know like as much as you know we try to find the patterns and like um and so it could give us the best educational guess but in reality it's gonna do what it wants but it's better to be prepared than unprepared and then just guess like with no you know trying not to even you know have any educational um due diligence behind it you know it's better to be somewhat prepared than not uh but yeah the you, it's so unpredictable it's crazy what do you think of that deep psychological few pages that it got into about how like when we're when we're kids we're told we can't do things we can't touch the vase as it talked about uh and then you know we're told no and we're told no all these times in our life because we have all these boundaries and then we get into trading and we can do whatever the hell we want right and how that you know is a different mindset than what we usually have. It, it's a little too deep for me. I'm not sure I can get quite on that level with uh, with with Mr. Douglas here. Uh, that I thought that was very very deep. But I don't know. What do you think on that? I don't know. I was I was reading along with you, and I think it's good that he brought it up because I was looking at it as is it is he kind of pointing to like we need almost or we yearn for like that 
mentorship of like someone telling us what to do and not to do. And then as we get into trading, it's kind of like you're on your own. So it's a lot harder. Is he kind of pointing to just mentorship or just like more education, like reading his book, like to be the parent? Maybe. I think what he was getting into, because he really hit hard that trading is one of the few endeavors that has no boundaries, um, which I disagree with him a little bit where he was talking about, uh, uh, you know, the the market close and things like that. I thought that was a little, it's like, eh, that may not be true. And a little bit is because I'm, I'm in crypto a lot and crypto does not have market close. Um, so maybe that's why I felt a little like maybe he wasn't spot on on right there. But yeah, a lot of the things that he said there, I did agree with, and there is a mental aspect here that I think we all kind of have to wrestle with. In the end, if I were just to summarize chapter two, I have to just basically say that uh, he puts the onus on us that we can't, if, if, if we really tackle what, what is wrong with our trading, it is the person in the mirror, right? We can't blame it on anyone else. And that's why I think a lot of people result in just just going to a call you know just, just listening to calls and not learning how to trade by themselves and i think that is how you get into scammers right because you'll get um i, I see it right now just in the just on the uh, comments yeah i was about to say in the comments thank you i'm glad you saw that yeah in the comments for these tweets it's like oh you need to go to mrs cleo or whatever whatever it is <laughs> <laughs> that's the uh <laughs> the uh, psychic lady, but yeah, you have to go to Miss Cleo or whatever, and she knows how to how to how to trade. Forex trade, yeah, right, yeah, forex trade. And I think because of that, people get they go down the road of crap. I can't do this on my own. I don't. I, I keep on losing. I need to find somebody else. Oh, here's here's a Miss Cleo. She knows how to do this real well. And they get into a scam like that, and it's just because that's where they were on their path. And it's too bad that that that's a step that can be avoided. Whenever we talk of market tuition, if you just listen and maybe ask a few people around, you could probably avoid the the scam section of your market tuition. Yeah, absolutely. I kind of wanted to pin this. Um, if you guys have questions or you want to chime in, um, in with this conversation with us, go ahead and request. I'm looking for this chart that I want to show you guys. Yeah. And while she's doing that, yeah, please do. If you, uh, I mean, everybody in here probably is trading something, whether it be um, stocks, options, NFTs, Forex, crypto, anything like that. And so I know with some of you in here that uh, you face some mental blocks or you, you know, I, I guess it's possible that everybody in the room has completely tackled their, their mental aspect of their game. But I, I don't really believe that. I think anybody always faces that mental aspect of, oh no, what, you know, what do I do now? I'm losing. I've lost 10 in a row. What do I do now? Or uh, I should have got in earlier, should have got in later. I can't get in at all because fear is keeping me from hitting the submit button. All of that. And if any of that's the case, I'd love to have you up here um, to be able to just kind of give your own thoughts of kind of what we were talking about in the book so far. Did you find that chart? That's how I kind of felt with the questioning yesterday. I was or in the first chapter. I was like, wow, this, this is really all on me. And I know I'm the one always making the decision to either hold longer or get out too soon. And then I'm just like, I, I be feeling it. And I'm like, wow, this, this is really talking to me to really like start sticking to the game plan. Do more paper. <laughs> like when I'm paper trading, I'm doing amazing. Because <laughs> there's no emotion. 
Well, in this, Christine, why? Okay, so Christine, so y'all don't know, Christine is uh, always trying to talk me into doing options. And and I, I did an option trade today, Christine. Oh, uh, you didn't even tell me. I'm so mad. Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I keep, keep it on the down low here. But uh, I, I am here to say that I finished the day. Where, where's my, uh, do I have a drum roll still? Uh, yeah, I do. Here we go. I finished the day. 2% up on the day. Oh, wow. Take profits and never look back. That's right. <laughs> take profits and never look back. Okay, I'm going to ask you, what did you trade? It was Verizon. Verizon. Okay. And then you entered a call put? It was, uh, I'd have to bring it back up. It was a put, and uh, I just wrote it down a little bit, got out. Um, it, it, and, and it was a good thing that I got out. It, it did go back the other way. And uh, anyway, one of the reasons I did Verizon is very cheap, super duper cheap. I could get one contract for very cheap and just get a feel for how I'm feeling. it. Yeah, that's the best voice of DeFi, like going in uh, when you first start trading. I don't think people should go into trading um, trying to already get on stuff that's expensive. I think that's the best is get something super affordable. So then, you know. You could kind of get to know the market and then also like the stock that you're trading. They all have different personalities. That, that's absolutely right. But the reason I bring this up is, as you know, because of my account got kind of locked up with Webull, I had 30 days I had to do of paper trading, right? And before, whenever Christine was telling me, you need to get into options, you need to get into options, um, I would tell, I told her, all right, I'll just jump right in. I don't want to do any of that stupid paper trading stuff, right? <laughs> I did see that. I did. I absolutely did. And even though that 30 days was good, the reason why I said that is exactly what we're talking about now. I feel like whenever you're learning, um, if, if you do paper trading, there is, there's, a, there's a psychological battle that absolutely is not there. You can you could completely adhere to your rules. If you lose, who cares? It's fake money anyway, that sort of thing. So I kind of wanted to learn how to do options with really something on the line. And even if it was just Verizon, where even a, a, a an option in Verizon is was cheap, you know, even 100 shares worth is, is pretty cheap. So I really wanted to do something with real money on the line, even if it wasn't money, wasn't much money on the line, because that gave me the feeling of, uh, I don't know, some kind of skin in the game and the actual emotions that you might feel when, even if it's a little bit of money, it actually is money. That Real money. Okay, so now tell me about your emotions. This was your first trade where uh, it's not a paper trade. It's an actual trade. So you got out of that uh, 2% uh, profit. That's awesome. So how about the comparison from your emotions that are not there when you're paper trading to today? Well, I'm first going to answer this with a way that has nothing to do with emotions. And this gets another thing into paper trading is when I did a paper trade, I would always do a market order, right? Okay. It just that on paper trading. But whenever I tried to do it today, um, it said something like uh, conditions are high and unstable or something like that. And I must do limit orders. Okay. Yeah. So to me, I was like, oh, and I'll, uh, it's, it kind of like knocked me off my game. I was like, oh, I, I thought I just hit, <laughs> hit this button and I get in. Now I have to hit this button and this button. And uh, again, it gets into like the real thing is the real thing. And, and that's why I was glad to finally be able to start that um, today a little bit. Now I had, a, a, you know, I, I do a few different things on spaces and whatnot and I had some things to edit. So I didn't want to go too hard into options today because I didn't feel like I could watch the chart 
at okay. least you could voice you could have a screen like i don't know what your setup is but i know you have a couple of phones and then i'm sure you have a computer screen maybe when you're on spaces you could have one up like just you could just like glance over or whatever or and then when you're ready to sell it you just pull that trigger the amount of screens i have in, i'm willing to bet i'm willing to bet out of all the people in this room I have more screens in front of me than any one sole person in this How room. How many screens? Okay, I'm going to count, and I'm going to finish with the, the big one here. I have a TV. There's the one. that you have to count tells me yeah. you have so many. <laughs> I have the TV. There's one. I have a laptop. There's two. I have one, two, three phones in front of me. One, two, three. We're up to five. Okay. I have a... I 49-inch wide monitor. Okay, so it is... What the hell? It, <laughs> you work for the government? <laughs> the government, but I have a very long monitor. It's it's very wide. It, uh, yeah, it's 49 inches. And, and so it's not like a TV. It's still a the height of a regular monitor, but it's very, very wide. And so what am I up to? Six. Uh, and then I've got my stream deck, which I'm just going to call that one screen, even though it's got like 36 little bitty tiny screens on there to have little cool little little sounds and stuff. Uh, yeah, if anybody's listened to me long enough, you know I have plenty of little sounds that I'll play. Uh, and then I have one other little small little TV over here to the side. So Holy hell, Voice of DeFi. Okay, well, one of those screens you could have your chart up while you're on Spaces. Yeah, I know. I just, I, yeah, yeah, I know. I know. Anyway, so, let, let me answer with your... your wait, with your three phones. <laughs> Are they like previous phones or did you get like new phones for this? Because no, no, you're no, not taking a loss if they're previous phones. And I love no, it. No. So the one I'm on spaces on right now is the, not the newest iPhone, but it's a couple generations old, right? Uh, so that's the one I usually use to get on spaces. That way my regular phone um, is just like sitting out here, hanging up here. I can get PO apps with it, receive calls and it doesn't screw up my, uh, my spaces or anything like that. And then I've got a third phone over here that I will use for uh, another. I, I use it for Traderverse, basically. I just get on with that. Um, and it's, I don't know why I have three phones. I could easily do it with two. <laughs> but I've got, no, I've got it three. It inspires me because I have two sitting in a drawer right now that are just not being used. I'm like, ah, you, wow. didn't use you see why I need people like you? You just tell <laughs> yep, more yep. things that I, I'm taking This a is loss. beneficial. Yes, this is productive because we get to share like what we're doing and we could pick up little tricks, tips and tricks that we're each other are doing that could benefit us. Just like what happened right now with good looks and you and your 10 screens <laughs> and me telling you to put one of the trades that you have up while on space is just right there. So you could just glance over. By the way, I told you it was Verizon. It was actually Apple uh, of what I uh Oh, you I know what, Voice? Um, so remember Drip was here. Oh, man, I should have sent this to him. Bummer. Yeah, Drip. Okay. Yeah. yeah, Drip, he actually 90% of the time just trades Apple, and he recommends it for a lot of like new option traders because it's very affordable. Yep, and, and that's that's why I, I, not because of Drip using it, but it was affordable, which I felt, and I'll probably do this for a little bit, probably like, uh, you know, that's why I speak in percentages, because if I just told you dollar value, no, I don't care about dollar value. Right, right. So especially here in the beginning, I just options are just so different than anything I've ever done before. And, uh, you know, you hear scary words like uh, exercise and things like that. And I just yeah, I just want to make sure I've got a, a good hold on uh, what that's what's only if you 
are on margin. Right, right. And I'm not. I'm not. And you and I talked about that earlier. But I want to answer you, or the question you had before. So today I did the option trade and it's after we read, um, after we read, you know, chapter one. And uh, as far as my emotions for it, uh, now granted, I'm not new to trading. I'm just new to options trading. But it did go in the red a little bit initially. And I did try to just, especially since I'm not having a whole lot of money on the line, okay. I did try to just say like, you know what? It might lose. And I knew exactly where my stop would be. Um, and I, I don't exactly use a stop loss, um, but I know. It's okay. Yeah, it's a, it's a mental one, but it's it's on an indicator, actually. So, um, and I for me, I don't do it till the close of a bar, basically, over this. Yeah, that's over, good. Because otherwise you get these little scam wicks and you'll, anyway. Um, okay. uh, yeah, so I, I tried to not freak out when it went in the red. And I just said, you know, after chapter one, he said, like, you know, if, you're, if you believe in your system, then, which I do, uh, then you just have to understand that, like, if it's a 60-40 split, 60% of the time it's winners and 40% of the time it's losers, then you just have to be okay with that. And I tried to do that and just be okay with it. And even though the, the trade did go, you know, good for me in, in the end, I did have to wait for some time, but I was, I had already, and this is because of chapter one, just determined like it's whatever happens is going to happen. It's either going to go and hit that stop loss or it's going to go to my, to, to my take profit level. And, and that's the way it's going to be. And in my mind, you know, I don't know if it's a 60, 40 split, but in my mind, I've got a statistical edge here by doing the trade in this way, but I completely understood that it might go completely against me in the way that I wanted to trade. So because of that, I don't know. I felt a little more at ease, just feeling like I did the trade. I know what the parameters are and I'm going to just stick with those parameters. So in, in that sense, chapter one did help me, even though that uh, 30 question survey kind of pierced me to the core last week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it. I can't believe it. I'm so happy that like that 2% is awesome. We always say it like some people are like, oh, I barely did anything. I did 3%. And we're like, that's freaking awesome. And you're green, you know, like just try to stay green. Um, and then Rocky, I saw that you were commenting um, and chiming in on the comments, but did you want to bring it up here on the panel? I think there were good comments. Yeah. Um, which comments were you referring to? I was just kind of, you know, in, in and out of trading stuff. I mean, I, I do a lot of trading, but I haven't really done too many like options, calls and puts, but I do a lot of perp futures. So I do like the revolving yeah. futures. It's different. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to learn uh, or I want to learn futures. But yeah, it's I mean, it's in general. It's not really like uh, we're talking about options right now, but definitely just trading in general. But I think, OK, here's your comments. You put think about think without second guessing a solid setup. Also, don't leverage. And then you are your biggest obstacle. I think all those are so good. Thank you. <laughs> I like don't leverage. That's a good one because I, oh, yeah. I am a crypto and uh, be, being a crypto trader, you can obviously do a few different, uh, you know, you can get really high leverage and you can get, I mean, you can get, you know, 100x leverage and make it to where a couple ticks wrong on the chart and you're liquidated. So, yeah, that's a that's, that's great. I think advice. a lot of people don't know how it even works. Like if you have 100x leverage, that means you're telling the exchange to borrow 100 times the, you know, money that you have so every one percent whether it's up or down you will be like completely liquidated at one percent wrong right so that's extremely difficult 
extremely difficult. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you you almost would have, to do a hundred x leverage. You almost would have to see the future to be able to be consistent at or, or it is lucky. straight gambling for sure. Like there's there's a thousand x leverage that I've used before, which is point one percent gain. It's fucked up, man. Just dumb. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's a good way to get uh, cleared yeah, so, out of the thousand. So I do not. Uh, uh, this is not financial advice. Don't do that, of course. But the main thing is if you use small, you know, numbers, like if you use $10, $100, $5 or whatever, it's not going to kill you too much. But the one thing you were saying that I was bringing me back to this is that like, you are your biggest problem with a setup, because if you have a good setup, you don't really need to be changing anything, you already planned it, you already have the money and everything. And you just have to let it execute itself, right? You just have to leave it alone and let it do its thing. Yeah, I like that of just you, you've, you've got it planned, you know that this is the parameters, this is what's going to happen. And you just like you said, you let the market take control of it. And I, let me have you guys and, and whether it be uh, Rocky or Christine or good looks or, 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 or uh, anybody else can answer this. Do you guys think that most systems, because you know, everybody can come up with their own little, you know, parameters for trading their own trading system. Do you guys feel like most or at least a, a lot of different trading systems work, but usually the the trader themselves is the one that gets in the way. Yes, <laughs> absolutely, one thousand percent. Yeah, I feel it, like that. Um, yeah, it's us. Like it, we really are our biggest obstacle. Yeah, I was about to say they said you're your biggest obstacle, and I know I'm <laughs> the number one defender on my <laughs> against my plays. Yeah, and there is this part in the on chapter two that you read how um, someone there's great traders out there and they will take a whole day to like pre-plan and like make sure that they know or, you know, try to know as best as they can uh, for the next day. And then they go into the next day and they don't even trade how they planned at all. So it's like, you know, I don't know. It's it's crazy because even the most successful trader will have bad days. Like there's no such thing as perfect. And I like to know like how, how they looked at that and, you know, they didn't do well. And I want to know like why or why they think they didn't do well. It's crazy. And uh, Rocky, you put your hand up. So yeah, you just brought something up that was really cool. Is that like there, like this market is going to do what the market's going to do. And a lot of the computer like algo trades are based on what the market has done in the past. They use maybe like moving averages, they use all kinds of technical stuff, but it's just repetitions of these cycles that so if you just got out of the way and let your setup do its thing and let the trade, you know, go how it's supposed to go, nine times out of 10, you're going to take profit when you're supposed to, you're going to, you know, uh, exit that position when you're supposed to. But it's when you try to go against the market by like for for example watching the news like a lot of people are watching you know the, the the like fed meetings and all this stuff and they're trying to make setups based on what you know jerome powell is gonna say it doesn't make any sense like you have like the market is basically f like the news is following the market so the the news the media in my opinion from doing this for five years or whatever is they're trying to piggyback off the outcome of the news so if you just traded your setups based on whatever market fundamentals you have, you wouldn't give a shit about the news, right? So, you know, you just have to kind of like trust in that system that you've set up for yourself. Absolutely. And then I did pin 
a chart from today up there um, on the Jumbotron if you guys want to take a look at it. And like we could just say who cares what chart this is, right? Like what ticker this is. But just look at the chart and that's like um, at open, you know, and it's there rallying. And then the rest of the day, you just see that whole downtrend. But a lot of people's accounts got blown up today just trying to catch the bottom of this downtrend and obviously you know it closed at a new low for the day and no one really caught the bottom if you scalped a little bit here and there but a lot of people got hurt today just off of that um chart and uh, this chart actually is similar to a lot of charts today because it follows that but um it's but great because keanu here he got like a thousand something percent on this play today because he looked at it like you know obviously it's going down like that's just tr it's a trend it's going down and he let it go and obviously scaled out and let his runners run and got over a thousand percent on that you know because it was going down and he got a put but there's a lot of people that were doing calls all on this chart as it was going down and they just didn't get it it's crazy well, about to say this chart is a great example of you know there's a lot of systems out there and you know some people are going to look at this chart as it was happening and now granted it's nice that we can see exactly what happened but they would see this as it was happening and being like you said being like oh it's fallen a lot it's going to bounce back now right and so that's how they play it they're always going to say like oh it's it's exhausted and as far as how it's going to go down and then another set of people are going to wait for that pullback that you've circled here and they're going to say, oh, I'm going to do a continuation of the trend. You know, so you've got, you know, a, a large group of people that are only going to trade in the direction of the trend. You've got another group of people that are saying, OK, uh, the trend has exhausted itself and now it's going to bounce back and I'm going to be a part of that bounce back. And, yeah, it, it's very interesting that you've got two different philosophies of thought. And because of that, you've got people with two different systems now. One of those systems will work when another one doesn't, and the same one that doesn't that doesn't work might work on a different way when the other one does. And this gets into the mental game of it. Both of the both of the strategies may have times that work. Now, for me, I'm, I'm a trend follower, and I think you should follow the trend. But I'm sure the somebody trend is your friend. Trend is your friend until it's not right. Until uh, <laughs> and, right, trend is your friend until it bends. I think is the the way we try to make oh. it. Um, but yeah, if if people will just stick with their with their strategy, whether it be trend following or trying to find that pullback, then I think they would probably be more successful. But what happens is markets kind of have a, a personality for some time and you go for months and months on end and you think, you know, it's like, it's like dating, right? <laughs> you think, you know, a market and then all of a sudden just like, whoa, where did this come from? Now we're range bound and we're not trending anywhere. And now the trending type of indicators that used to work don't and now the range bound type of indicators that didn't work now do work and it all gets into starting you know starting to follow your mental game just as much as it is your your actual parameters you have what's up rocky so crazy so yeah i just thought of something um what i found more success in is basically understanding one thing and just practicing 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 working on that whether it's bitcoin or ethereum or you know, any stock, it's like if you just practiced one thing and you devoted your, you know, focus on that one thing, you would get really good at it and you would recognize all the patterns and the setups 
you would not need to divert your attention to all these different crazy different things in the ecosystem and try to make like I think people they basically try to make money and they don't actually practice the fundamentals right they just have their you know gaze on like 20 different coins or how, however it works you know it's just you have to focus on one thing get really good at it I feel like that's how I found more more success with trading uh, that's really really good um and yeah and then once you get once you get master, you know, to a mastery level of that one thing, then you can go to the next thing. But I think you're right. I think the the common thing to do is work on about 20 things at once and try to get proficient at all of them at one time. And just uh, that, that, that can be a, a, a losing proposition over time. Becoming great and an expert at that one thing probably has a lot more long-term success or at least sets you up a foundation to have long-term success. I love it. These are gems. And then Brian, you came up here. What's up? Yeah, I was gonna say, um, are we talking about trading and like how to like properly trade? Like not properly trade, but like, like what's the word I'm looking for? Like advice? Mint. Well, it's not necessarily advice. So, just in case you just came in here, uh, we have a book club every Monday and Wednesday. We will, I, I will read a book, and then we'll discuss it afterwards. We do a chapter a week, and uh, we just started this book on Monday, and it's called Trading in the Zone by Mark Douglas. We did chapter one. Yeah, it's a great book, and uh, we did chapter two today. And really, what Trading in the Zone gets into is the mental side of trading. You know, everybody's got their system that they trade. But a lot of us, what really kind of bites us in the butt is our lack of discipline for the mental game of it. So that's a little bit, if I'm just to say, what are we talking about now? This is kind of the post book club portion of the reading is uh, we're talking about how the mental game of trading can be, you know, whether you have that FOMO, that fear that, uh, you know, any of those emotions and are you an emotional trader, that sort of thing. Awesome. So I would have to go with Contract sizing, sizing your contracts. I could give a perfect example. So let's say one day, like I buy, I buy one contract of like some spy, like four eighty-five puts, right? One contract, like for sixty cents. I'm not gonna think of it like anything or like a big of a deal because I just have one contract, sixty cents. So what? But once people start to add on to those contracts, so instead of from making it one and go to two, that's where I feel like people are starting to get a little bit a panic sort of set. So what I like to do, what I started to do when I was a beginning trader, I would start off with one contract until I would get confident enough, confident enough, confident enough. And then because I used TOS, so like I would then switch it to two and then two, I would get good, good, good. And then I would see myself start to pull back. And then I'm like, Oh, wow, this isn't going my way. Let me go back to what I'm good at to one contract. So I would have to say contracts and how many you buy. And yeah, like the that. size of your trade, right, Brian? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And that applies to anything, guys. Like I know he brought up options, but anything you're trading, like the sizing of what you are putting out there. And we always say that, right? Like don't put out what you cannot afford to lose. Like do not do that because there's a good percentage that you know there's a good chance that you might not get it back so don't ever put yourself on the line like that but yeah i definitely agree the size of your what you're trading you know it has a big effect on your emotions like what he said like if you're just trading something small you're like oh who cares like oh it's 60 cents who cares like i don't care but as you get better you get brave and you're like okay well i 
it's not 60 cents anymore. I'm going to put down, you know, 600. And then you're like, I'm going to do the same way because I win. And, you know, and then all of a sudden you're emotional and you're like, oh, my God, it's I'm negative 5%. Like, oh, my God, is it going to go back? Like, I need it just to go back. I'll just like, you know, I just need a wash. And then you're crying and then you lost it. And then you're like, what am I doing? And then we're reading Trading in the Zone. And then we're getting like mentorships. Like, there's just all this stuff. But I think the sizing is absolutely correct. What Brian said really spoke to young voice of DeFi as a, as a trader, and that is I was really obsessed with something called the Martingale method. And uh, if you've ever heard of that, let me let me explain it in gambling terms. Uh, let's imagine you're on the roulette table and you have unlimited funds. Okay, you're gambling, but you already have infinity funds, and uh, you can go up to the roulette table and just put it on you know either red or black. Just put it on black, and uh, when you lose you double your bet. You put it on black again. And when you lose then, you double your bet again and put it on black again. And if you had unlimited funds, you would, in theory, never lose, right? Because you would always double what you had and then you'd be able to go. Well, I kind of had in my mind in trading, well, I'll start out really small. I will, I will really start out with a very small bet. And then I will double it. And then I'll, you know, if I lose them, then I will double it again. And here's what was really bad about that. And it gets into a lot kind of what Brian was bringing up is I started getting confident in it because here's the thing about the Martingale method. It works until it absolutely uh, soul crushingly does not, <laughs> uh, you know, because you'll get there and you'll you'll win and you'll win and you'll win and you'll get on a about a week streak of always that doubling and doubling always makes up for the losses that you're taking along the way. And then all of a sudden, and if you've ever watched a roulette table, this will happen where you're like, why did 15 reds go, go in a row right there? I don't understand that. And uh, it happens at the roulette table. And I'll tell you, it happens in the markets too, where something just happens again and again and again. And so I would do well, get overconfident, Instead of starting out with, and it wasn't contracts in this sense, but I'll call it contracts. Instead of starting out with one, I would just start out with two, right? And if that goes wrong, I'll just change it to four and then do eight. Instead of starting with one and then two. Anyway, my confidence would be uh, incorrectly high. Uh, and then I would, I, I would always get wrecked in the end. I'll always It'll humble you. The roulette wheel will humble you. And yeah. you and I have gambled together, so. <laughs> we have. We have. We have bet on little plastic horses. <laughs> 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 yeah uh, we brought up uh, Sahil Preet uh, what's up yeah so you know how the book mentioned uh, random rewards like being addicted to those so I was I got a story so I started off with like $100 and then I was being consistent making 250 a day for like a month and a half straight and then I swung some calls and I made seventeen hundred. Swung more call. I didn't know what was gonna happen with the calls, right? Swung them again, made fourteen hundred. Swung, swung them again, made like fifteen hundred. And then that, I didn't know what was gonna happen when I bought the calls or put. And then I keep kept on swinging them, and then I blew my whole account. And now I'm having like really hard time to getting back into the rhythm of like two fifty a day. So like, yeah, that's just like me being addicted to the, the rewards. So I'm trying to pull back from that. Yeah, we can't be the monkey, Sahil Preet. <laughs> we can't be the monkey okay. in this book. Like, I but think um, if you're having, because you obviously, you got confident as well because it was working. Like, your strategy was working. And then until it didn't, 
right? And I think that's why we always have to be on our toes. And then I always say like, we're only as good as our last trade because we can't get too confident because it's almost like the market knows when you're too confident because then it just like pushes you over and runs you over like 10 times. Um, and maybe if you're trying to get back into the zone of like your strategy and finding what works and like you're trying to hit that 250, but I guess like start small again, you know, like a uh, hundred and then you get good at that and then you get to but the mental too, isn't it like like he got used to trading, you know. You know, he was getting fourteen hundred and twelve hundred and all those, and all of a sudden now you're like, oh, two fifty, okay. <laughs> I know. And you just have to be like... grateful that you're, you still have money to even go back into trading again. Because we've talked to so many people that are like, I just can't now. Like, I just can't. I don't have. You know, I'm not able to trade. Like, I have no money that I can afford to lose. So I'm done now. Like for the time being, until maybe forever. And I'm like, wow. Wow, you know, and at least you're still able to get back in and just try to find that like mojo again. Yeah, this book actually been helping me a lot. So I'm here. I'm gonna be here like every time you guys read it. So thank you for that, actually. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. And we're all going to grow. We're just going to get smarter, guys, and just um, mentally prepared for, you know, the market every single day. And I want, you know, we all want all of us to just be the best uh, version of ourselves, especially in investing and trading. And I think uh, what better way than to actually, you know, read books like this, Trading in the Zone, and then just other like books that um, help us be more productive and just better versions of ourselves altogether. But we do this Mondays and Wednesday evenings, unless there's like holidays. Um but yeah, this has been freaking amazing. I think chapter two is even better than chapter one. I'm so excited. Well, I was about to say, I want to talk about chapter three as kind of a preview. So this will happen this Monday at uh, 9.30 Eastern, 8.30 Central, 6.30 Pacific. Uh, and chapter three is called Taking Responsibility. Let me read some of these subheadings within there and see if they speak to exactly what we're talking about right now. Uh, it says... Uh, shaping your mental environment, which I think is an interesting subheading, heading, reacting to loss. We covered that a little bit uh, today as well in our discussion afterwards, reacting to loss. And then uh, winners, losers, boomers, and busters. So all of those, I, I, I'm really excited to talk about that on Monday because I, we've all had that. We've had winners. We've had losers. We've had completely wallet drain. I say wallet. I'm too much in Web3. Account. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> account drainers, uh, you know, that sort of thing. We've all had amazing success and amazing, uh, you failure. know, ob stories, failure, exactly. And uh, it will wreck you emotionally. And if you are going to be the one that falls down, dust yourself off, off and, you know, gets back on the horse, then uh, you've got to be able to do something different mentally, you know, mentally to be able to do, you know, to have a different outcome. Absolutely. I'm so excited. Um, if you guys are like me, I like to kind of reread the chapter if I have time or try to find time. Um, go ahead and reread uh, chapter one and two. And then we're going to do uh, chapter three here with Voice of DeFi on Monday. Uh, if you're not following Voice of DeFi or everyone up here, uh, do so. Even everyone in the room, that'd be cool just to know uh, 
you know, every, get to know everybody that is interested in what you are as well and just talk to each other. This is a community of people that want to be productive and read and learn more. So super awesome. Uh, Voice of DeFi will tweet out Monday's space uh, tonight. Yeah, I'll try to do it tonight. <laughs> And then I was going to say, we're only two chapters in. Like, you know, Monday we did chapter one. Today's Wednesday we do chapter two. If you wanted to buy the book and have, you know, chapter, you could have it by Monday and be able to start with a, a book in front of your face by chapter three. Um, we're, we're early on here. There's no reason not to think you couldn't do that. And you could even catch up if you skipped on Monday and today, Wednesday, is your first day in, then you could catch up with that. So uh, I recommend doing that. Christine does that. She reads along as I read uh, on it. So, you know, you could you can just listen to me, but I do think having a book in front of you probably is the better way to do it. And in chapter one, it has like an inventory quiz, which I, I highly recommend. Just, just buy the book and mark it up. Don't be like Christine and afraid to mark up your book. Did you end up marking up your book? I did because I know I'm going to buy another one that's going to be pristine on my bookshelf. Gotcha, gotcha. That that'll be the good one. That'll be the the, the good one that you'll show everybody that, that you have on there. But yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, mark this up, guys, because uh, a lot of people are saying that it's like it's almost like their trading bible. Like it really, they you know, even if they've read it a couple times, they still look back at this book and they go through it and they're like, man, I need to refresh because I've got lost in this game and, you know, I'm too confident and I got humbled and I need to just refresh my um, strategies and my mental, my mental health <laughs> and trading. When you said got lost in the game, I, I thought of Brittany, but anyway. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Uh, and this is this has been recorded like every time, guys. So if you do want to um, listen back to chapter one and then two, and this one, chapter two, you can. You know what I should do? Uh, not only will I make chapter three, but um, I should make a thread that is just a threaded each chapter that we do. Wouldn't that be easy? Yes, that would be great. And this just reminded me, Keanu had told me last week that... Uh, his friend is going to put you on like I guess this golden hour is going to be put on Spotify like you reading this book awesome awesome hope legally we're okay with that but uh, I guess it's we'll fine isn't he like dead well he is I'm sure there's an estate just I'm just kidding <laughs> rest in peace Mark Douglas golly <laughs> All right, guys, I am going to play. Where's my smart music button and my mini, mini TV screen? Seriously, everybody, check out 49-inch TV screen or 49-inch monitors. They are amazing, and they will change your trading life because it's, like it's like having three monitors next to each other but without a seam in between them. So really cool. Anyway, all right, everybody, there's your smart music. We will be back on Monday, uh, same time, and uh, we'll go over Chapter 3. Go out and buy the book if you haven't already, and then you'll be able to read along. Christine will be able to uh, discuss it afterwards. And we will do a PO app, even though I know not many of you, I think only like five of you minted a PO app this time. And I know the PO app app is really doing some funny things with the anti-bot thing. But we'll have them either way, um, because I just think they're a fun little addition to do what we do. So we'll have those. Look for my tweet. I'm going to put it out tonight over Monday's space so that you can go ahead and hit the remind button so you can be uh, in here on Monday and ready to roll. Till then, anything else you got, Christine? No, she already went. That is it. Sorry, I was uh, replying to a DM. Sorry, sorry. All right. <laughs>
see all you guys later see you on monday till then love y'all peace one love what did we just become best friends yep Thank you.